The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3, page 584 in your pew Bibles this morning, though I will be reading from the ESV. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. He who has ears to hear, let him hear the amazing word of God. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. O God, send your Spirit in a mighty way to show us your power and your glory, that we would be glad and rejoice in you. Strengthen your people by your word. To your glory and praise, we pray, through Jesus our Savior. Amen. A few weeks ago, I was uh, was with John Hayward, our summer youth intern, and we were together in Anna Slothauer's office. Anna is our youth ministry assistant Uh, She always does her job with excellence to the glory of God. We're so thankful to have her on staff. But John and I were in her office, and we were discussing a a ministry thing that we had this summer. And as we were there, I looked over at the wall next to the door to her office, and Anna's desk faces that wall so she can see it all the time. And on that wall, there were these sticky notes plastered on the wall. Now, I think you all know what we use sticky notes for. They're to remind us of things. So I was intrigued because I saw this one sticky note there, And it only had one word on it, three letters and an exclamation point. And the letters were all caps in black permanent marker. And they said this, eat. And I thought to myself, really? Really, Anna? I said, Anna, do you really need a reminder to eat? And she had this sheepish grin on her face, and she said yes. I think sometimes she works so hard, she forgets to eat. But then I said, Anna, there are many things that I need to be reminded of. Eating is not one of them. And I think it's probably pretty safe to assume that not many of you need to be reminded to eat either. But there is a reminder that we all need. 
there is a reminder that we desperately need, a reminder that we cannot live without. Not a day of your life goes by that you do not need this reminder. The prophet of God in Lamentations chapter 3 reminds us, in essence, to remember the gospel, to remember God, and thus hope in Him. And as we meditate on this reminder this morning, we will see three things about the hope that it brings. First, we'll see why we need this hope. Secondly, we'll see the reason we can have this hope. And then finally, we will see the focus of this great hope. But if you look at chapter 3, verses 19 through 20, and indeed, the context of the entire book of Lamentations reminds us of why we need hope. We need hope because of our desperate situation. Our dire need because of the suffering that we deserve because of our sin. This is what the book of Lamentations is all about. It is showing us the awful weight of suffering that belongs to those who have rebelled against God. Lamentations was written in response to the fall and destruction of Jerusalem around 587 B.C., You see, Jerusalem was basically suffering genocide as a result of her disobedience, her rejection of God. And it is literally impossible to overestimate the intensity or the depth of the suffering that resulted from the fall of Jerusalem at the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. The worst that could happen to any nation, to any city, to any house of worship, to any person happened here. Let me just read through some portions of this book to give you a deep sense of the weight of the suffering that they were experiencing. Beginning chapter 1, verse 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become, she who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Verse 5, her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away captive before the foe. Later on, verse 18, The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against His word. But hear, all you peoples, and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. Chapter 2, verse 20, Look, O Lord, and see, with whom have you dealt thus? Should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. You summoned as if to a festival day my terrors on every side. And on the day of the anger of the Lord, no one has escaped or survived. Those whom I held and raised, my enemy has destroyed." The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for first thirst, 
The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. 2 Kings 25 describes the fall of Jerusalem, and it tells us that the king, King Zedekiah, was captured by the Babylonians along with his sons, and his sons were slaughtered before his very eyes. His eyes were gouged out. He was chained and carried away into captivity. Could it be any worse? Could you imagine any greater suffering? No wonder the prophet says in chapter 3, Remember my afflictions and my wanderings. The wormwood, the bitter suffering, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But it could be worse. It could be worse because you see, that's where the book should end. Right there, verse 20, with our souls bowed down. It should end for all of us, suffering for our sin and with no hope. We do not deserve hope. We deserve damnation, utter destruction. We have sinned against God. We are infinitely guilty before the infinitely holy God. Jerusalem had earned every ounce of judgment that she received. And so have we. The only reason that we are not suffering this and worse right now is because of the undeserved mercy of God. It is amazing that this passage offers us hope. But this hope is not in ourselves. We cannot fix this problem. We need hope and help Because of our desperate situation, our dire need, and there is nothing we can do to save ourselves from the suffering that we deserve for our sin. But the good news is that we have reason for hope. It is in remembering the unchanging character of God and the good news of the gospel. In the face of the worst of suffering, the very worst of suffering. God's people yesterday, today, and tomorrow are offered hope. But we are not offered hope with a word about answers to the problems of evil or a promise of no more suffering, not with a word about circumstances or men or movements or armies or political systems, but simply and powerfully with a word about our Lord. The prophet remembers our only remedy. Our only hope is in the unchanging character of God. He remembers, in essence, the truth of the gospel, the reason for our hope. He remembers the character of God. And he begins by remembering that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Verse 21, he says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Now I know in the NIV it reads, because of the Lord's great love, 
we are not consumed. And that is a correct way of translating the passage. It's certainly true. That is something that the Bible teaches elsewhere, that the only reason that we are not consumed, that there are, that there are any people left, that you and I and all of us and all of Jerusalem are not in hell right now is because of the undeserved loving kindness and mercy of God. This is true. But the context of this book also allows for the emphasis to be upon the steadfast love of the Lord. It's the steadfast love of the Lord that is not consumed, that never ceases, that is not used up. Well, what is this amazing steadfast love? God's steadfast love is his benevolent affection. It's not a desire or emotional attachment. It's not a feeling. It is so different from any other love that you have ever experienced. It is God's intention toward his people, his loving kindness aimed at their good. So this is what that means. If you are a child of God, God is always loving you every moment of every day. And he is always seeking your good, and nothing can stop him from acting and loving in that way. So if you are a child of God, whatever you are facing right now, today, whatever you will ever face comes from the hand of a loving God and is aimed at your good for his glory that you would put your hope in him. Everything, always, without exception. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. In Romans, Paul tells us that nothing can separate us from this steadfast love. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists a bunch of things that were experienced by Jerusalem in Lamentations. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure of this. I am sure of this. That neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ or take it from us. It does not ebb with the ebbings of our feelings. It does not chill with the chill of our affections. It does not change with the changing scenes and circumstances of your life. As children of God, God's love for you does not waver because it is not based on you. It is based on the unchanging character of God and flows from Him itself. You know, our love for God may waver, It may be hot one moment and cold the next, but God's love for us never changes, not even our sin as his children can deter it. John Owen said this, Though we change every day, yet his love changeth not. 
Could any kind of provocation turn it away? It had long since ceased. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. In remembering God, the prophet also meditates on the fact that the Lord's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. You see, with each new day, the weeping prophet still had fresh experiences of divine compassion. God's mercies are new every morning. That means there are new evidences of his mercy every morning. New experiences of God's mercy every morning. Even to wake up in the morning is to be reminded of God's constant care. Listen, if you find no comfort in your outward circumstances today, if you find no comfort in your outward circumstances, if not today, that day will most likely come, the day when you have no comfort in your outward circumstances. What you need to do is meditate on the unfailing mercies of God. Each day we have is a mercy. We do not even deserve one breath. God owes us nothing. God's mercies are new every morning, and we need them every morning. There will never be a day in your life where you do not need the mercies of God. And as his child, there will never be a day in your life when you will lack the mercies of God. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Paul Tripp writes this, If you are one of God's children, there is something in your life that will not wear out. In fact, it has the amazing capacity to be new day after day after day. Scripture says that God's mercies are new every morning. You know you need mercy because you know you need forgiveness and help. Almost every day, you mess up in some way. Almost every day, you face things that are bigger than the size of your personal wisdom and strength. You and I constantly need the mercy of forgiveness and the mercy of enablement. And so it's very encouraging to know that God's mercies are new every day. God's mercies never grow stale. They never lose their transforming power. God's mercy is brand new morning after morning after morning. This also means that God's mercy is tailor-fit for the problems that you are facing right here, right now. Each morning you are given new mercies for the particular things that you will face that day. So you can wake up tomorrow with courage and hope. And you can do this not because of your strength and wisdom, but because you know that the most important thing you've ever been given will never wear out. And you can have hope because you know that the God who has given that new mercy knows exactly what you are about to face. And not only does he know it, but he has intentionally planned it for his glory and for your good so that you would hope in him. God's mercies never come to an end. Not even our sin can cause God's mercies to come to an end. Richard Sibb says, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. There is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Amen? God's mercy is displayed in his compassion. 
He replaces judgment with restoration. God will never fail to respond to his children with compassion and with mercy. Never. And God always forgives his children. Always, every time, without exception. He's able to do this. His mercies never come to an end because he knows our suffering. He has entered into our suffering. And he has taken our worst suffering upon himself. You have been mercied by God only because Jesus Christ was damned by God in your place. And that has guaranteed that his mercies will never end. May we have eyes to see the mercies of God in our lives, how we would thank him, how we would trust him with our future, especially when we consider the price he paid and the death of Jesus to take away our guilt and make it just for God to give everlasting mercies to sinners who will trust in him. God's mercies are new every morning. The Bible uses that metaphor of night and morning often. One of the places is in Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. It reminds me of Romans 8, where Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The sufferings of this present time. That means the suffering is temporary. It will end. It will end. The morning will come. And the joy and the glory that it will bring is so great that the suffering cannot even be compared with it. You will forget the suffering. It will be over. It's over for Barb Shea. It's over. It's gone. It's not even a distant memory in her mind. It's as if it never happened. Today, Barb Shea is experiencing glories that you could not even imagine. And one day, it will be over for you too. The morning will come. Have you ever known a day when the morning has not come? God's mercies are new every morning. But if you are not a child of God, if you are here today and you are still rejecting Christ, if you are not a child of God, and if you persist in that rebellion and rejection, not only will the morning not come, not only will the suffering not end, but it will only get worse. God's wrath will remain on you, and it will be poured out in full, On the day of judgment. But this is not that day. At least not now. This is a time of mercy. An opportunity to repent. Stop rejecting God. Humble yourself before His mighty hand. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe on Jesus Christ. As the Son of God and the Savior of sinners. And receive His mercy through Jesus Christ. Well, remembering the character of God led the prophet to proclaim those amazing words, great is his faithfulness. Your God is a faithful God. He is not like man. Numbers 23 says, God is not a man that he should lie 
or a son of man, that he should change his mind? Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? It is against the character of God to lie. It is impossible for God to lie, to not fulfill what he has promised, to not be faithful. He cannot not be faithful. Deuteronomy says, The Lord your God is the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with his people. Our God is the God of the covenant. He is gracious enough to make promises, and he always keeps the promises he makes, every one of them, every time, always. So that means when you read the promises of God's word, you can know they are true. They will be fulfilled. There's no doubt about it. I can have confidence knowing that his word will not return void. So I will proclaim his word knowing that is true. When the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, it's true. Believe on Jesus and that is the only way you will be saved. When God says that there is no temptation that has overtaken you, that's not common to man. But he's faithful and he won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he'll provide a way out so you can endure it. It's true. Whatever temptation you're facing right now, there's a way out. It's not too hard to bear. God in his mercy and grace and strength can lead you to overcome that temptation. When God promises that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, it's true there's hope for the sinner. When we confess, we can be cleansed and purified through Jesus Christ. When he says that his grace is sufficient for us, his strength is made perfect in weakness, it is true. You can boast in your weakness knowing that the power of God rests upon you. When he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, it is true. He is with you now. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you ever. He is with you in the midst of your suffering. Our faithful God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. A bruised reed he will not break. He deals compassionately with his children. You will not be put to shame. He will complete the good work that he has begun in you. He has gone to prepare a place for you. And he is coming again to take you to be with him. He will wipe every tear from your eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. You will be with Him. You will be made like Him. You will see Him face to face. The night will be over. The Lord your God will be your light, and you will reign forever and ever. Do you believe that? God is amazing. Great is His faithfulness. When have you ever known a time when God has not been faithful to his people? Ever. The answer is never. And you never will. He is always faithful. The glory of God's great faithfulness is that no sin of man No act of man of any kind, no sin you ever commit as his child can ever make God unfaithful. 
can ever undo one of his promises. Nothing you do can make God unfaithful. That's what it says in 2 Timothy. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It is utterly amazing that this passage does not read differently. Considering what we deserve and who we are in our sin. Verses 21 through 24 are some of the sweetest words in all the Bible. But we do not deserve to have them there. How should this passage read for Jerusalem who had rejected God? How should this passage read for us? For we are guilty sinners as well. It should read something like this. But this I call to mind. And therefore I despair in utter dread. The holiness of the Lord never ceases. His just judgments never come to an end. They are new every morning, well-deserved and earned. Great is His wrath. The Lord is my just judge, says my soul. Therefore, I will be crushed by Him. But that is not how it reads. Praise God. And why doesn't it read like that? It should And we would have no complaint, no argument. We would be getting exactly what we deserve. The only reason it doesn't. The only reason it says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. The only reason we have any hope at all is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus Christ, God himself, he who had no sin, became sin for us. He took our suffering He bore it in his body on the tree. He took the wormwood and the gall. He drank the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he took every last drop for us. It is because of this sufficient, effectual, atoning death alone that we are not consumed and that we can have hope. Because Jesus died for our sins and was buried and was raised on the third day. Through the finished work of Christ, we have been purchased for God and we have become His covenant people. Amen? And verse 24 gives us this amazing, incredible result. The focus of our hope, God Himself. Do you see what it says in verse 24? The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Eternal damnation should be our portion. It's what we've earned. It's what we've deserved. It would be just payment for our wages. But instead, Jesus Christ took that portion and gave us His. So now God Himself is our portion. The God who owes us nothing has given us everything. The God who owes us nothing has given us everything. He could not give us anything more. He could not give us anything better. He has given us himself. And it could not have come at any greater cost. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. How could you doubt it? Well, what is our response to these glorious truths? The psalmist responded in Psalm 63, Because 
Your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. The response of God's people is to praise this glorious God. To worship and adore Him. But we need to remember Him. You see, not a day of life goes by that you don't need to hear the gospel. To believe in it. To stand in it. To hope in it. To act on it. God's steadfast love is better than life. Do you believe this? Do you remember it today? We need reminders of the gospel every day. You know, one simple way that we can do this is by opening up our mouths and talking about God and His wondrous deeds toward us. We can proclaim His faithfulness to one another, His mercies. Your experience of God's mercy can lead others to rejoice in God. When you proclaim His faithfulness to others, it can lead them to rejoice in God as well. So I would encourage you to do this. Open your mouth and speak of the faithfulness of your great God. Today, when the service is over and you're out in the gathering space, talk to one another about the faithfulness of God. When you see me on the way out, tell me about His faithfulness and His mercies in your life. I need to hear it. I need to be reminded of it. I want to rejoice in God with you. And the, the beloved members at the early service did a great job of this. They've set the pace for you. They encourage my soul by speaking of God's faithfulness. Today, over your meal, meditate on the unfailing mercies of God and proclaim them that others might rejoice in God as well. Tomorrow morning, as you continue to submit your daily life and your plans to God, remember the gospel. Use a sticky note. Do whatever it takes. Remember the gospel. What would happen? What would happen if we as a church became intentional and passionate about proclaiming the faithfulness and the mercies of God in our lives to one another and to whomever we would meet? What would happen? I know one thing that would happen. Our glorious God would receive the glory due His name. His people would remember Him and put their hope in Him, and others would see and trust in the Lord. May it be so, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, before we are completely finished this morning, I want to share with you some of God's faithfulness. I've asked you to tell me of God's faithfulness, so I want to close by telling you of God's faithfulness. The Lord put Psalm 40 on my heart uh, this week. I think it fits in perfectly with the truths of lamentations and what we've been meditating on. So I want to direct your attention to Psalm 40 that you might hear of God's faithfulness. My aim in closing this way is that you would rejoice in God, that you would hope in Him as you hear His Word and are amazed at His steadfast love, His mercies, and His faithfulness. Psalm 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up 
from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. May you trust and hope in this glorious God. His steadfast love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. The Lord is your portion. Amen and amen. O God, be merciful to us. Daily remind us of your grace, your mercy, your love. Be exalted in our midst. May we put our hope in you. Open our mouths that we might speak your praises. That your people would trust in you alone. What a great God you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.